Hello and welcome home. You're listening to the Tribe Abuja podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you to know and make known the truth and love of God the Father as expressed through His Son, Jesus. Let's listen to the message. Um, welcome everyone. Um, if you've been following our conversations for the past few weeks, I've been doing a series called Into the Wild, and it's inspired by um, Jesus' conversation to his disciples where he was commissioning them. The first time he was commissioning them and he said, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep amongst wolves, so be as gentle as doves and as wise as serpents. Right? So we did this series where I was sharing with you guys how the, the concept of redemption or reconciliation is not something the church invented. It's not... Um, something that the tribe um, invented or evangelism was not something the church invented. What we are doing is seeing what God is doing and partaking of that work. Amen. So what I've been telling us that even if you're not called to be in the office of the evangelist, one way or the other, we are called to be evangelists. We are called to proclaim the gospel, not just with our lives, but with our words as well. Amen. So I was thinking about it because I did um, two episodes on Luke 15 where Jesus responded to the Pharisees. Can we open Luke 15 one very quickly? Okay, so Luke 15 from verse 1, right? Now all the tax collectors and sinners, including non-observant Jews, were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. But the Pharisees, okay, that's it. But the Pharisees and the scribes began muttering and complaining, saying, this man accepts and welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay, so we see here that um, something interesting was happening, that religious people and misfits, sinners, were drawing near to Jesus. Then the Pharisees, the spiritual elite, they were grumbling that why is this man allowing this kind of people around him? So he responded to the Pharisees with the three parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, which we did um, three weeks ago, right? So, but I I, I went back and I was just thinking about what kind of man is Jesus that religious people, misfits, social pariahs, in fact, one translation says terrible sinners. So they are not just sinners, but they added an adjective. I said they are terrible sinners. Like, what kind of man is he that he was drawing those kinds of people to himself, right? And he responded with those three parables. And we learned that God, his intention, especially from the last parable of the lost son, that God's intention is to draw lost sons back to him. That we see that in the work of redemption, God is the one that is interested first in us before we could ever even think of our interest in him. Glory to God. And we saw that in the parable of the lost son, right? Which I said should probably be named the parable of the father's love. Because we see the father's response to us. Because we were the lost sons at one point in our lives. But what kind of man is Jesus that? He, John 1 tells us that God, Jesus was full of grace and truth. 
Like, how is it that he lived his life that he loved people? Because have you have you had conversations with people? And I know some people maybe here like, ah, we not they do too much. Um, um, Jesus hung out with drunks. Jesus hung out with prostitutes. You people are only hanging out with yourself. Have you heard conversations like that? Yeah, so they are right but not right. It's half truth. So Jesus actually was accused of being a glutton, a drunk, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's why you've probably heard that phrase, um, friend of sinners. He was actually accused of that. The fact that he hung out with them does not mean he permitted you know, what they were, their, their lifestyles. So you can tell by the interaction that he had with almost everybody. He will leave them and tell them what? Go and sin no more. Or he will ask, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you, right? Go and sin no more. So Jesus was, was this kind of person that he was graceful enough or gracious enough that people were comfortable around him, but they left his presence changed. But he was a scandalous person. If you think about Jesus, if he was in that time, every social media um, blog, I'm not going to give them airtime here, but you know them. You follow them. You know what I'm talking about, right? Some of them. Nobody, I, I mean like these Instagram blogs now that break scandals and all those things. Anyway, I don't want to give somebody um, ad time. So <laughs> if Jesus was in that time, just imagine the kind of response he'll be getting from society. Like this man is claiming to be Messiah, but we saw him in red light district. Just think about it. Like people will be going like, ah, bros J. No people now bros J, but you see me red light. Do you understand? Like, and we know that a post does not tell the full story. But it's, it's the way the world is now, and it's, it's terrible. One of my biggest fears is to trend for the wrong reasons. I, I don't ever caught in that, especially in um, Twitter, Nigeria. Anyway, may our enemies not be satisfied in Jesus' name. But basically, I want you to just put yourself in that, in first century Jerusalem, and see Jesus' response to the religious people and to the lost people. But he kept on telling the religious people, he kept on telling the religious people that it was, um, he came to do his father's work, and he came to seek the lost. And it was scandalous. Some of us may be uncomfortable with putting, you know, scandal and grace together. But I want you to put it, look at it in human context. That this person that was claiming to be everything that was God's word, like he was the embodiment of the word of God. But he was acting in a way that the religious people at the time did not understand. So it was a bit scandalous. Do you understand? And... His type of grace in human context was scandalous. But it still kind of is, if you think about it, that we, sinners that have no ability to raise ourselves to life, that 
God, Jesus, left everything, left divinity and became, left heaven, became the son of man so that the sons of men can become the sons of God. If you think about it, it's a bit scandalous. Then think about it, the founder of our faith dying on a cross. That's like the founder of the faith now dying on an electric chair. It is shameful. It is scandalous. Amen. But what um, I, I really love Pastor Fedi's insight, and he'll, he'll jump in very soon. But what I just wanted us to see is that Jesus was full of grace. And what can we learn from him? Because he, the fact that he hung out with um, tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, terrible sinners, as one translation puts it, and the religious people were uncomfortable with that, and they found it to be scandalous. And not just that, that his grace, God's grace, in human perspective, is scandalous. And we're just going to be going through that a bit. Pastor Fede. Thank you, Jesse. Good to see everyone. Um, good to see you already. Please celebrate Pastor Jesse and Eva, our pastors. I love this too. We should steal them to Lagos. Um, but while we're, I know you guys have something um, for traffic, but trust me, we sorted that out already. You won't be dealing with that when, when? you show up. Um, <laughs> and please celebrate my friend over there, Eche. Um, you know, Eche and I had a deal. So I have three boys and I'm done. Uh-huh. Right, I'm done. Okay. Um, Eche incidentally had three. <laughs> incidentally. Guys, uh, during the lockdown, um, Eche broke the sacred law. And I hear now there is a little boy to, wit- uh, to, wit- to, to acquaint myself with. Hey, girl. Okay, Keda has a sister. That shouldn't have been your motivation. But bless is the Lord who give it. All right, guys. Um, Justice is really saying something interesting. So I got this um, letter from a friend of a friend at the tribe Lagos. And the letter reads, I think I shared it with Lily, and I, possibly even Jesse, I think I sent it to you. The letter was like, going forward, I no longer want to be identified as a Christian. And those of you that will send me scriptures, texts, and videos, don't bother because I've made up my mind. I've seen enough contradiction to identify myself or to go on and identify myself as a Christian. But somewhere along the line, she started to talk about how Christians are now being known for what they hate and what they love and how from the election to everything, she's getting more confused. And I think, in a sense, if you're careful, you watch and realize that over time, people will start feeling it's trendy to say, I don't do labels. Christianity is a label, I don't do labels. Trust me, it's not the problem. Unlabel yourself, label yourself. It's not the issue, right? The point is, yes, it's sad that when you see Christians, you don't experience the life. And I'm going to speak to three things. One of them is because we have lost the essence of what the gospel is. The gospel, at best, is called good news. And today, most of what we get to hear or preach or think the gospel is, is less of good news, maybe on a sense, good advice. Please don't go to hell. Or let's step aside and say, maybe good instruction. Give your life to Christ. Or we, we've made it into the things we need to do. But the, the gospel came from a word called kerygma. And kerygma is more rooted in the fact that God has come to declare something. Kerygma is the declaration of something. It's not your invitation to do. It's a declaration of what has been done. So get the drift. In Kerygma, God was declaring what he has done for us in Christ. 
So the gospel was God's declaration that human race, I have come to give my life. I've come to shed my blood. I've come to include you in the relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we're all in this movement of reconciliation to show the work, the work of the, the heart of the Father to the sons. So if your understanding of gospel is about what you need to do for God, you have it backwards. It starts first with what he has done for us. If your understanding of the gospel is first about what you need to believe concerning God. So let me, this is a trick question. Not a trick question. Guys, what's the almighty formula for salvation? First, if I, okay, let's see. Um, I'll say the first one is Jesus plus circumcision equal to salvation. If that's your, okay, this one is a give you But if that's your formula for salvation, let me see your hand. Jesus plus circumcision equal to salvation, right? There's a second one, which is Jesus plus belief in Jesus equal to salvation. Let me see your hand. Ah. I don't the hide though. You want all three? Okay. Jesus plus nothing equal to salvation. Which is it? Grace plus nothing equal to salvation. Which is it? Grace plus nothing equal to equal to salvation. Jesus plus belief in Jesus equal to salvation. Jesus plus circumcision equal to salvation. Is more what? It falls around two and three. Right? Now, but this is what it is. The belief you have, right, was less about something you developed, but more about something that was given. The Bible actually said the gospel comes supplying faith. So the gospel is actually, the Bible comes, the Bible has, the gospel has power to quicken the dead. So faith that you use was a response to what you received. Faith is human response to salvation, the gospel. And once you hear, we've spent a hundred years talking about all that the man, man needs to do for God, all that we have, we need to find God, we need to do God, but God came to find us. So the gospel is rooted, God is central to the gospel. It's not about what man needs to do, it's what God has done. Now, there are two ways to understand this. When we think of sinners, Jesse was speaking of something here. The Pharisees had come to accuse Jesus. And I'll read from Mark. So he read from Luke, but this is where he was going. In the book of Mark, um, they came to Jesus and they said, Baba, this is your, this your deal, I don't understand. So see what they, they, they start by, let's read from 16. Now, uh, Mark... Mark 2.15. Yeah, Mark 2.15. Well, let's take it from 16. Okay, take it from 13. Take it from 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to them, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call, pardon me, let me read that again. Mm. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, so guys, 
Um, this last verse, Jesus, he gave us a context of sin. Now, what do you see there in that context? He said, I am a great physician and I came for them who are sick. So there are three ways you can interpret sin. You can, two ways. You can interpret sin as a crime to be punished or as a disease to be redeemed. And when you think of the way Jesus related with broken people, he actually thought the criminals were the Pharisees. Yeah, the, the religious people had more criminal. Do you know these guys gathered money? They did a job. Right? Yes, they did a job. Carried money. Okay, sorry guys. If you are not from Lagos, this is what it is. So a job is something that you guys do. that throw money together. But they gathered money and paid Judas. That's how bad it was. They said this guy must nail him. Gathered money, paid for Jesus to be caught. Right? That's the way. And they were the ones that went to Portius Pilate. One day they came to him and said, Baba, let's trip you over, guys. See, um, you know, the Romans have invaded our land. And they want us to pay taxes. In your heart of heart, as a rabbi, the one who claims to be from God, the one who is God, are we supposed to pay taxes? Jesus knew that there are two ways to answer that question and we're going to get into trouble. First, if you tell them pay taxes, they say you're supporting our oppression. If you tell them don't pay taxes, they'll say, um, Caesar, please come. He's instilling rebellion. Carry him. So he knew very well that there was no right or wrong answer. Guess what he did? Wisdom. Wisdom is profitable to direct. He just said, what are you holding? A coin. He said, now give to Caesar what is Caesar. Yeah, which face is on it? They said Caesar. Right? Okay, since Caesar's face on it, give Caesar his own now. But he told them, give to God what is God. Now, in that particular verse, there was something else that he said that was lost on for us many times. One, he was talking about the image of God that we carry. So, yes, Caesar's image is on a coin, but God's image is on man. Right. So if you are giving the coin, give to God, Caesar his coin, yeah. but your life belongs to God yeah. because you carry his image. Yeah. Now, Pharisees didn't see that part. They, they said they went away sorrowfully. <laughs> Knowing that this, 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 this thing didn't work. So at the end of the day, what you must keep in mind is look at the prodigal son that Jesse has spoken about. That guy, that guy blew his father's wealth. You guys know the guy. You must have been him at, the, at some point in your life. Okay, you were not him. Your brother was him. Or maybe your brother. You know, some, if somebody shot there's always that black sheep that would take school fees twice. <laughs> Somehow, he has a way of eating his rent. And now squatting, and they are hearing the house that he's, they are squatting him in school. Oh. And they say, I will not do this, I will not pay for you again. You sleep outside. So, you know, after your parents, African parents, uh, if you use them to relate to God, God will be foul. Because African parents have conditional love. You know? So, at the end of the day, you find that the, the father comes, the boy comes back home after got a job. Job didn't add up because I guess that guy didn't finish school. You know, he left early and I took money and left. So, there was no degree. So let's assume that he wanted to get a job, but CV no tight. It wasn't well packaged. He got job to feed the at uh, the, uh, the pen. After eating the, the 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 food of the pigs, he came to his realization like, man, let me go and be a slave in my father's house. Now that the story changes, he gets home, his father ran to him. That father running to him, Jesus was speaking of God's heart towards man. God is always running after us. I don't know where we got the idea that God was mad at us. When you discover the Bible or the gospel, it's less about God being mad at you, but more about being madly in love with you. See, the gospel was not, when we think about God, we sing it in the song, left the 99, came for the one. Brother, you're not the one, we all are the one. 
You understand? Sometimes you just feel like it's my, it's my special story. But the reality is that we are the one. God loves each and every one of us uniquely. His heart will not stop till everyone in the human race knows his love. And that's why we're called into this reconciliation. Think of the lost coin. The lost coin is very interesting. Let me give you another dimension to the lost coin. People think that the lost coin became valuable when it was found. I'll shock you. That lost coin uh, didn't become valuable when it was found. In fact, it was the inherent value in the coin yeah. that made the owner look for it. Yeah. So you now, now check some things you've been looking for. If you lose anything, that doesn't make sense. The coin had value. Yeah. Man always had value to God. His image was always in you. So God, God knew who you are. He knew what he made you. And so God came. So the lost coin was God speaking to us that I am pursuit. I'm in pursuit of you. I am coming after you. And that's what grace is now. God didn't wait for you to qualify. His love qualifies you. And his love should be the baseline for how you define yourself. Even if you take a coin and squeeze the coin, the coin will still have value. See, no matter how much life has twisted you, whether sexuality, rape, molestation, attack, bribery and corruption, even Nigeria. You know, Nigeria has a way of twisting you. So by, whether you've been twisted by the realities on ground, the gospel tells us that God doesn't look clear. Our, we don't, our value does not reduce with our experience because we are not our experience. Our, our, Bible, our, our own worth is not reduced because of our mistakes because we are not our mistakes. You made the mistake, but you're not the mistake. right? So you have to be able to take your identity from your story and put it right where it belongs, in Christ. The lost sheep and the shepherd. Now think of the sheep. Sheep no get sense. The sheep doesn't even know he's lost. The sheep is just moving around. Oh, we like sheep and gone astray. But the father knows that this one is lost. We, in fact, we, we thought we were woke in the lostness. You understand? We're posting all the time, sounding all tight and wise. Like, you are lost. So the captive doesn't know that he's captive. We thought we were free men in a free land. But Jesus came and told us, no, you guys are lawful captives. In fact, this thing you call ring is a chain. In fact, you're not supposed to have these bangles around your neck. You're not meant to have the bangles, all these chains. You were meant to live free. That was what salvation was for us, that God entered into our brokenness, broke the chains to free us. So you must understand that captivity was the state of nature of man after the fall. The gospel is a declaration that all captives, that all lawful captives have been set free. Right? So you have to understand the gospel. It's more from God's side. It's not so much that you need it. It's that he is love. And love moves towards his own. Love will always go for that which is the object of affection. Tell me now, you know, the other, the other day we were doing choir practice in Lagos. They come and carry the choir people that they didn't follow COVID protocol. Imagine. Yes. We, we, we called heaven and earth. Generals and, and civilians. Right? Because this, this, at the end of the day, these people were in a, in a room. Well, let's not go into the details. Right, because it, it, you can be arguable. It can be, be arguable that we broke law. We don't break law. But that's not the point. They carried, and then one of the members in church, his his wife was there. His wife had called him that brother, I'm a captive. <laughs> <laughs> so he called me first of all. This was two a.m. Pastor Freddy, what are we going to do about this? I said, I'm on, I'm on it. I'm on it. I had no clue what to do at this time. I called them, the high and the mighty. They were sleeping. The high and the mighty had slept. So I told the guy, be patient. The guy called me five times in, in five minutes. In fact, there's a law that says if you, I saw one joke once, that if, if you call somebody once or twice, the person will not pick. Leave them. And the person asks questions, they say, they don't lock you outside house before. <laughs> so this is what you're telling me to call twice. The man called five times. You know why? His love is there. 
he will have no rest until she's free. That's God's story. And that's our story. That he comes for you. He will not rest until he knows you're free. Right? He actually took on our nature so that he could come enter into our reality. Broken reality. Do you know, at the last minute, people were killing him. Shout, shout, shout. But the question I needed you also to dwell on was, did God become grace at the cross? Did God become grace at the cross? So now we talk about, oh God, you love me. He loves us, right? But did he become grace at the cross? I don't think so. God was always gracious long before there was grace. In Christ, grace, grace became a person. But let's backtrack. No, Matthew, we did this entire study on the book of Matthew. We're still there. But Matthew chapter 1. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 1. Just read from verse... Matthew chapter 1 from verse 17... Matthew 1, 17. Are you there? So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Okay, so let's, let's do some math in the house. If you know mathematics, please. Those of us that can't remember it, mathematics, don't worry. Our brethren, they're here to help us. So let's do the math. They said, um, so from Abraham to David, how many? 14. From um, David to Babylon deportation, how many? From um, Babylon to, to Messiah, how many? 14. So how many, how many generations are there? 14 plus 14 plus 14 is what? 42. Is what? 42. No, do the math now. 42. 30 what? 42. 42. All right, now. So that means if we have to call Papa begat Papa, Papa begat Papa, there are 14 people. Now, let's take, a, um, take it back a bit. This was Matthew breaking a tradition. The way that they always count your genealogy, they count your genealogy from your father. Not, women don't make it to the list. Yep. But Matthew goes to tell the Jews how real Jesus was. He says, this is the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now he has plugged it to Abraham because those people feel like the promise was given to Abraham. So if you're not from the lineage of Abraham, you can't be a Messiah. He says, Abraham was the father of Isaac and a son. And Isaac gave birth to Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and, and his brothers who became the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. By who? Tamar. Is he male? Okay. Suddenly a woman enters the lineage. Sarah did not even make this lineage. Like Matthew left out Sarah. But I saw this woman's name called Tamar. So let's keep Tamar one side. Read on. And... Um, and Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nation. Nashor, the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. By who? <coughs> By who? Okay, so we see a second woman mentioned. And we were supposed to be looking for 42 women. Right? There are 40, 42 men, 42 women. Now we have seen only two women. Rahab, keep reading. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. We see a third woman, Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of... Jesse, you made it. You made it. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba. You guys recognize this woman? Who had been the wife of Uriah. You, guys, don't worry. You're safe. The Holy Spirit is here. 
Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asher. Asher was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's father. These were, I guess, interesting. Hosea, Hosea, Jotam, father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconian and, and called him Konian. And Jehoconian and his brothers at the time of deportation to Babylon. After deportation to Babylon, Jeconian became the father of Shetel, Shetel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abinud, Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Eliud. Anyway, we land on Mary. So guys, I know some of us, that you would have read the Bible back to back if not for this begat. You understand? Because this begat, to just summarize it, but we've picked out five women. The first woman we picked out was who? Tamar. Tamar. Okay, let's talk about how scandalous a story can be. This is supposed to be the lineage of the king. Like the Messiah. How tidy can it get? Tamar was an interesting woman who at the time was a widow. So she was married to Judah's son, lost the first husband, they got married to the second one, lost the second one died. Right? That one, that one didn't, that one was just being anyhow. So that one died, Sha. So she was supposed to marry the third child, the third son. Whatever reason, Judah changed his mind. You know, at this time, if you're in Africa, she would have been given a name. Yeah. What's the name? Which she killed her two husbands, right? And in a land where husbands are scarce, only you have gotten to and killed them. So you should be careful now. No, no, you're, you're over. So she, she waited. The, the child grew up. Hey, Judah refused to give her the child. You know what Judah did? Judah was playing her. Now, what she did, she pretended to be a prostitute at the corner of town. Judah was passing by one day, going nowhere fast. And she said, um, hey, you know, all these all this sugar daddies, they like, um, <laughs> Judah was his daddy. And she called him aside and said, hey, daddy, Judah, um, how about, how about some, some tea? You know, Judah pulled over and said, uh, well, I wasn't thinking of tea, but I could use a, a glass of red wine. She said, uh, there's a corner in there. Right, whatever happened, guys, uh, PG, PG-18. So things happened, no, yeah, things happened really fast. Right? Judah didn't have money because he didn't plan to fall. So she said, since you, would, since you didn't plan it, let me hold your staff. Go and bring money and come and take your staff. Before Judah came back with the money, she had gone. So Judah became staffless. This staff was a symbol of authority. Given was their lineage. So apparently Judah has lost his authority. But let's keep that story for another day. He found out that this woman was pregnant months down the line. The guy had no clue that he, was, he played away much. But he organized for people to bring her out and kill her. And while they were about to stone her to death, she brought out his staff. And in that moment, Judah realized he was the father and the grandfather. So Tamar was saved. But the woman made it to the lineage. Tell me about scandals. If. Sorry, let me just. Um, you know the story about the, the woman that was being accused and they wanted to stone her. Mm. Um, I heard the preacher say that. You, you know, they said Jesus wrote something in the sand. And we don't know what it was like until we get to heaven. But a preacher was saying that he's tempted to believe that he was writing out the names of the Pharisees and what they did that night. <laughs> so when they saw, you know the Bible says they just retreated. So when they just saw their name, their scene, and time, they just... Anyway, there's speculation though before continue. Well, that's something to chew on, guys. Yeah, You know, but the, the reality of God is that we recently God keeps no record of wrong. So mm-hmm. now let's get laundry list of unforgiveness. Yeah. So go rip that list apart. <laughs> okay, so let's 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 move on. Second woman, what's her name again? The, 
Rahab. Rahab. Guys, do you know, do you know Auntie Rahab? <laughs> you want me to tell you a little bit of how Rahab was? So Auntie Rahab was, um, Auntie Rahab was quite an interesting woman. She ran the, um, the most traffic red light district. In fact, she was the kingpin around town. Her, 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 her own marketplace was the Sinojo. It was the center of traffic. And she apparently, at this point in time, was a prostitute that used to have pool parties. No, there were pool in her house, I should think so. Because the spies were entertained. And it, after she hid the spies neatly, right, she committed treason. You know, the, when you betray your country, that's actually treason. She, she told her, said, I, I, the, the stories are around town is that our town don't follow. So please sign quickly, sign this paper. My family, all, the, all my family will be saved. And then my people can born. She actually committed felony. Is it felony or treason? Treason. That's not that's treason. Yeah, she entered treaties against her nation with the spies. Lied that the spies didn't make it to her house. Why they were neatly tucked under her bed. You know, and, and of course, let them down through a, a, a rope or something and they escaped. Rahab was not a Jew. Yeah. But she was included in the lineage of Jesus. Oh. God was speaking of the inclusion of the human race long before there was a need for Gentiles to come in. He was saying, my heart was always that the Gentiles would enter. That even while she didn't qualify in the eyes of men, she, they, they are mentioning the lineage of Jesus. Rehab! Rehab! How bad can you get? Now let's get to Ruth. Ruth didn't, on a level, Ruth didn't seem like she has a lot of things wrong. I mean, your husband died. Men die. Right? But she came back to town one day. Now, when you begin to backtrack her history, Ruth is actually a Moabite. Yeah. And the Moabites are not very thought, they're not well thought of by the Jews. It was one night after the, after, after the escape from Sodom. Lot made it, but his wife didn't. The two daughters woke up one night. It was cold and rainy. And they decided that their father was going to, was going to be the one for the night. They got him drunk and slept with him. Moab became the child born from that illicit affair, who became the grandfather of Ruth. So the Moabites were an incestuous tribe, right? And somehow she made it to the lineage. God speaking that the, my work will, dis, will qualify even the Osus. You know, there's something called Osu. In Igbo. I, well, you guys know Osu. I don't know, Sha, but some families are not to be married from. God says the outcasts are in. Wow. That's the story of the gospel. The out are in. But when we get in, we keep the out out. The gospel is not about looking at how people... The idea of a tribal God was a Jewish concept. God was more inclusive than the Jews. One day they even told Paul that how can you be allowing Gentiles into this? They circumcised. They organized adult circumcision so that they can end their salvation indeed. And while those men were coming out of salvation in blood, Paul showed up and said, Peter, what have you done? They didn't need it. The men were saying, so I didn't need to be circumcised. <laughs> Paul said, for the, gospel, for the sake of the gospel, you will heal. <laughs> but you are, you are already in. And you know, Peter even apologized. He said, sorry, I had no clue that... Um, I got caught up. I'm, remember, I'm a recovering Jew. So these things take time. Now, the last person on, but let's think of Bathsheba. This woman, as scandalous as grace can be, think about her. She, well, it's not her fault. The king was her neighbor. People went to war. David decided to stroll. David was hanging around, just feasting his eyes. And whatever the case, he clicked on the pawn site. And Bathsheba opened up. Well, what kind of name is Bath? Sheba. Bath. And she was having a bath. <laughs> but you know, somebody said somebody we can't blame her for it, right? That it's not her fault that she's baiting. The king should have been in war. 
But whatever David did, David decided that this night would end in praise. Uh, and no, David invited her over and things were. But again, if you know the. Okay, guys, let's, this is just food for thought. And just a little bit of um, an advocate, just to give you some thought. If you know you live, you live next to the king whose house is higher than most in Jerusalem, you should be more cautious where you bat. <laughs> just saying that. We never know what happened. But apparently, two led to two. David decided at this point in time that her husband needs to come back from war. Yeah, and she agreed. They invited her husband back. The man was too much of a patriot to be, to be, to be, to be having sex while things were going down. So he said, I don't want to go and have a sleep with my wife because we are at war. He slept on the ground or slept somewhere. So David's plan, David and Bathsheba's plan failed. Uriah failed to sleep in the house. So how would you now give, there was no promise of immaculate conception at this time. Because the Isaiah's and Jeremiah's that spoke of the virgin main had not come. So Bathsheba, of course, we could not have claimed it. So they were out of options. Now, what David decided to do was to plant a suicide bomb. He gave him a suicide bomb. He took his suicide note to, the, to Joab. When he arrived, the story the was like, Joab, take him out, please. The next time, the, the Philistines were coming. Just say, I go, lead, 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 lead it. You know that says, let's death. <laughs> gave him like five men to go and face 100. Anyway, the next day, his body was back in town for a decent burial. David, of course, wept. And while Bathsheba was weeping, the king was a consoler. Right? I, don't, I, I will not exonerate Bathsheba from the plan. I would rather think that both of them were in on it. First, he didn't sleep with you, and now he's dead. But in course of the consolation, she ended up a wife of David. Right? David forgot he ever did anything wrong until a prophet came and said, David, you, you killed somebody. David not say, he was even saying the person who died today, they called his name. David went on his own. You know, David can repent fast. <laughs> David can repent fast. In fact, he's always said, I'd rather die, but I will follow your own sword, God, for you're merciful. Because if you let that, those Philistines touch my head, they will make a soon. They will cut it in 50 pieces. Right? My point is, Bathsheba made it. Right? And interestingly, she became the mother of Solomon. How scandalous can it get? An adulterer. And maybe on a level, a, compli- a, 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 a how do they call it in law? An accomplice in murder, HIC, we're legal colleagues. An accomplice in murder made it. Now, the last one, a pregnant virgin. You guys would think that, you see it in the 21st century right now. Just come on, sister, for choir now. Just say, "Um, brethren, I'm about to announce to you that last, a couple of weeks ago, I was overwhelmed by a presence called the Holy Spirit. And I just started seeing that my tummy was growing. Brother, even I, Pastor Feddy, would scratch head first. I said, Lord, reveal this to me in a dream. But just imagine how that kind of scandal was. How, do you know, even Joseph figured that this thing was not going to be part of it. Too. He was, yeah, Joseph was scared. And I said, I know they buy this story. Angel in this Jerusalem, when I know things are moving. right? So Jacob, was, he was already talking, only for him to last, last. He went to sleep. God now told him, brother, my hand is inside. That was when he now woke up and realized, okay, I'm going to be a party to this. But think about others moving around town. I'm just always telling Mary, you know, it wasn't Joseph. Yeah, you could go around. I'm even sure that, you know, it was in Nazareth. Um, in Galilee. Nazareth, Jesus couldn't do much miracle. That was where he grew up. Because those guys might have, you say, the, the sick heal. You know how pastors say, the spirit is moving. <laughs> People stand. No, Nazareth can follow your ministry. Because, now see finish. See, finish. Nothing moved there. Do you know, there was even one part, the particular time they came and pulled a powerful crusade. John and James had arrived earlier. Bill Bord, Jesus is in town. 
Today is a miracle night. It's a bliss moment. Put billboards. This thing mobilized. No, people didn't show. John and James now told Jesus that we're wasting our time. Call down fire. Yeah, you go and read it now. They said, Jesus, roast the town. How can, how can people waste our money? Do you know what Jesus told them? I'm not here to kill. I'm here to make a life. Jesus rebuked them. Because he's in the Bible. One prophet, the, the guy was just having a, a tough day. Some men were challenging him. The guy invented thunder fire you. <laughs> he, he came from the Bible. He just poof. Like, how many, how many prophets died that day? It was a carnage. Then there was another prophet. That one was just passing one afternoon. It so happened that um, there were fewer hair on his head. There had been this massive recession. The hairline was getting closer to the neck at the back. And, they, and, and the man just stood by and some, some kids were shouting, Gori, Mapa, Sekura, Sekura, Sekura. You know what? The, the, prophet, the, the prophet wasn't going to have it. The prophet just whistled. <laughs> and I can't whistle very well, but people can do it. Beasts, they said one wild beast came from the field. Ate the 48 children. And prophet said, moving on, there is a crusade in another town. <laughs> My point is, we saw what men did with the power of God. But when God became a man, he, rest he restrained his power even unto the cross. Amen. So God is not like a man. Oh. You understand? He's not. Oh. On that cross, try it with Jesse now. As you're nailing him. And I know that my mouth carry fire. I will just, you know, you know Daenerys, the dragon. <laughs> Guys, forgive, forgive. That, that day when I go roast. You want to murder me? Like, we all go together. It, today is the rapture, right? Father, take them. Like all those men said, kill him for Barabbas. Jesus just kept saying, Father, forgive them. I, I, I don't understand though. See, God's grace, God is, God is love at the core. All that God is, is rooted in his nature as love. There is nothing he does. Even in his, his, God is just, but his love is just. And that's why he has judged everything that is seen, that has killed man. See, God is that which comes between you and your addiction. Pierce it. He doesn't want to destroy you along your addiction. Because he knows that that thing has taken it captive. He paused. God, you know, when you know God's judgment, you will say, God, judge me, Lord. Nine out of ten times, the judgment of God judges you to redeem you. When God judges you with porn, they go catch you. There's this guy that was cheating on his wife. Yes. Some of the judgment of God is that you'll be exposed. And that exposure will begin deep work of healing. Some people will not change until they are judged and exposed. When they see that, say, oh, God, the whole country, you know, imagine someone was... Dating somebody just mistakenly carried the guy your yeah, phone and things were going down in the DM. And brother, I thought we were in a relationship. Sister, I, I should have told you I, there is a struggle. Okay, redemption don't start. Now you are exposed. If you think you can hide it, you miss the point. Grace consumes secrets; it doesn't preserve it. Let grace invade every secret and burn them because you are not designed to live in a lie. You are not designed to live as lie. The power of grace frees you from every chain. So let collide with it. <laughs> collide with it. Lord, let your, let your love collide with me. God redeems, not about condemning you. So this is what I've been telling people. We spent 50 years giving them a gospel. Please put two rapture there. Four doors of hell. You know, yeah, because this generation needs to know that God is, God is fierce and angry. God is against that which is against you. He's not necessarily against you. So if something has claimed you, God comes in to take you from that thing. You know what Isaiah said? He said to our mind, we esteemed him smitten by God. But when, 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 when David was speaking, David said, Father, um, uh, um, Jesus was quoting David that you've turned your eyes against me. Father, why have you forsaken me? But when you read down Psalm 22, he says, but you will not leave. So it was the cry of, uh, of pain. But further down, he says, you, the Lord, cannot leave. 
right? God was not the one. God was the one shedding his blood. He was in Christ reconciling the world. Like he said, I would rather, although some people can handle it, one would say, God would say, I would rather die than live without you. Oh, they say, no, that's him. I'm not talking like that. But that was what the cross was. That God said, I would rather die to redeem you than live, let you live apart from me. Because we're not designed to live apart from him. So the cross is, is, is God descending into the chaos and reclaiming us and taking us back into himself. You are back in love, forever in love. Nothing can disqualify you. So what's your story? Can you stack up to Rahab? No, let's talk about Bathsheba. Yes, you cheated on your boyfriend and you told all his colleagues at work and you've been quite solemn. You know, you've been quite solemn. The whole family knows now that there's something wrong with you. But that is the opportunity for God to bring you out. Oh. Yeah, your redemption is at hand in him. Amen. Just where do we go from here? Um. <laughs> no, but okay. Please, can you just appreciate what Pastor Sergio shared? Yeah, you know, as you were talking, sir, I, I, I was just thinking of the elementary definition of grace. Like, what's the basic definition of grace that we know? What? Let's say it now. Unmerited, Unmerited favor, right? And that's the basic definition. But just that word, unmerited, it carries so much. You know, like, like all Pastor Fede has said, that the work that Jesus did with his life, with his death, the burial, and the resurrection, that there's nothing we can do to attain the result of that, which is um, the grace that was poured out, which resulted into salvation. And so let me just also clarify this for anybody that is just confused. Depending on who you're reading and which denomination, they, 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 are say they, are, they say they are different kinds of Christianity. But for this conversation, I'll just say there are two. So there is the common grace which is poured out on Christians, Jews, atheists, which is the sun rises and sets, not just on Christians, you know, rain falls and... and, and um, not just on Christians. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? So that's what common grace is. We don't necessarily pray for it. There's nothing you can do. God has already given the world. So he will give talent to um, people that don't believe in him. That is some form of his common grace. But there's the saving grace, right? Which was poured out through Christ Jesus. And there we see that grace, like we've defined, unmerited favor. Just that word alone, that you, there's nothing you can do. Think of the lost, uh, the lost sheep. What, in, what, in what multiverse, in what universe will the sheep attain some form of um, sentience or intelligence that it will be able to repent enough that the shepherd will bring it back into the fold. And that's how we were. Do you understand? Like Christianity, like I keep saying, it was not a rehabilitation program. It is we were dead and Christ made us alive. So we were dead in our sins and grace came and we now, through our faith, we, you know, we believe in the finished works of Christ Jesus and now we are saved ones. But we see that God has always been gracious. But you know, you were asking, was God gracious post at the cross. But no, we see that in Isaiah, that Isaiah was telling us that God has been eagerly waiting to be gracious to us. So grace for him, and just as you've gone through the lineage of Jesus, was not invented at the cross. It was right, it has always been his intention. And we see also that the lamb 
like John saw, was slain when? Before the foundations. So there was already that provision, sir. Right? So grace has always been this eternal concept that was um, exuding from, from, from God. So that unmerited, we should always carry it. And also, I think we should qualify something here. That um, I don't think Pastor Fetty or anybody here, and I, I'm just saying it for clarity's sake, that grace is not permission or license to sing. But grace empowers us to become one with Christ. So Pastor Fetty preaches this powerful message, you know, on, on, on this thing called union life, where what we have in Christ Jesus, or whatever Christ is, whoever he is, we, we share that same thing. We have that share, shared nature with Christ Jesus. And that's what grace affords us. That grace, because it's unmerited favor, we are now alive in Christ Jesus, but not just alive in Christ Jesus. We are now one with him. We have the same mind of Christ. We live and breathe just as he did when he resurrected. Amen. Amen. Yes. Thanks for touching that. I mean, these days, please clap to that. Clap to that, guys. <laughs> guys, please, you guys have, um, to wrap up here, this song, you're not embarrassed, you're not ashamed. We stand, you know. So, so open us, Abiyam. Somebody has to know it, too. Somebody has to know it, too. But I think we can. Somebody has to know it. Somebody that can sing it has to know it. But Jesse spoke sing about, you're not embarrassed, okay. you're not ashamed. You stand in wonder of what you've made. I am loved, I am loved by you. You should clap to that. I'm, I'm not this lucky. Brother Matthias. I don't even know where the key came from. <laughs> Today, I'm hardly this lucky. Michael, you guys should feature me on the album. I'm getting better. But guys, this is just to drill in before we close, right? Speaking of union life, uh, when Jesus came on the scene, there was a tension as to how he presented God to the Jews. The Jews always believed that you will experience God in a temple. So they paid, in fact, at the temple, for you to enter temple, if you're a priest, they have to tie something around your waist because you might not come out. So they, they, they had holies of holies. They were temple focused, right? And in fact, the Samaritans were worshiping a different temple. Solomon built stuff. And he came and told them that, no, that's not, the, 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 that's not where God wants to dwell. That God was not seeking an external dwelling place. He was seeking an internal dwelling place so that God wants to come and abide and live in you. Right? And so he said, I am my father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen my father. So Jesus said in John 14, John 15, John 17, he kept saying, this is a prayer he prayed, that you will come to know God in you. You come to know that you're one with God. God didn't design us to exist outside of him. The way it works is this. Think, let me give you a metaphor. Think of the ocean and the wave. Now the reality is that there was this conversation between the ocean and the wave. The wave said, you know what, ocean, I'm so beautiful. People come to check me out. I'm the attraction here. And of course, wave has style. They would blend, blend, blend. And say, oh, you say I, I, I really need to separate myself from you. I, I have to go and live in a different place so that I would, I would monetize my traffic. And the ocean told the wave, every step you take out away from me, you cease to exist. Man is like the wave woven in the ocean that is God. Like God is the place where we came from. Half the dysfunction in our world is because we've chosen to live separate from who we are in God. But you cannot be a part of that which you're a part of. But we've learned, yes, how to live apart from me. So your thinking is God away from you. So your idea of worship is that um, let's worship to connect with God. No, you're not worshiping to connect with God. Your worship flows from connection. Your prayer is not to attain. You're not praying because you want to find God. You're praying because he's already. He powers the prayer. It's your communion with him that powers the relationship. 
right? So if you're external base, you would think that I'm giving God so that I will get his approval. No, he's already approved you. There is no giving to earn. When we give, we give because we worship and we are blessed. Not because we are trying to put a cost away. All cost has been cancelled in Christ. He blew it all away. So if your desire to find God, everything you do for God is to connect. You are in, a dis- you are in distance. You are buying separation. So my desire to, to grow in God, God is the one in me that is drawing me to him. Like God is the desire in me that is saying, Freddie, you, you can't stop here. There is still more in me you, for you to find out. So what you must find, what, no matter how weird that word metaphor is, forget the metaphor, dwell in the essence. That the way a fish cannot live out of water, because when God was speaking to creation, he spoke to the source from which something came. When he wanted to make the fish, he spoke to the water, let the fish comfort. Try to keep a fish out of water, you have a dead fish. When God was going to make plants, he spoke to the earth or to the ground, and the plant needs the ground. Take that plant out of the ground, it will die. But guess what? When it was time to make man, God didn't speak to the earth first. He didn't speak to the sky. He spoke to himself. He said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, making himself the very place where we live, move, and have our being. So when Paul was saying in him we live, we move, our being, he was telling us what is true. But our consciousness has learned separation. So we live our lives on the treadmill, trying to earn what is ours. We live on the treadmill of performance. If you're trying to earn, you've missed the point. Your salvation is not dependent on what you do for God. It's a declaration of what he has done for you. And if you keep your life trying, trust me, when you know him and embrace that that is true of you, your life will bloom and flourish. You don't, you don't need to do because you live doing. The Holy Spirit comes in you to power the being and the doing. Today, my prayer is that the way of your being will match the truth of your being. Because there's a way that seems right unto a man, but there's the way, the truth, and the life of being in Christ. Let the way that you've been today be reconciled with the truth of your being. The truth of your being is that God is in love with you. God has approved you. God has reclaimed you. That God has qualified you. There is no inadequacy in your life. There is nothing you need that God has not given. The point is grace is not half measure. God didn't do half and said when you do no. The cross was a declaration of everything. He said it is finished. You come in. So yes, are we supposed to preach the gospel? Preach the gospel about the love of the Father, not the condemnation of the Father because there is no condemnation anymore. Right? Preach the gospel about the reconciliation of the Father, not a world that is God is sick. You know, somebody told me the other day that, you know, people make much of hell. And someone came to tribe and said, we, didn't, we don't talk about enough. I said, we don't make much of hell. They said, oh, you guys have started. All these churches. I said, no, my point is, you spent 40 years preaching hell. I gave my life to Christ 50 times more. Because every time I was, they showed us hell. My point is, if you carry fear to preach the gospel, you will win them with fear. And fear cannot keep. The only thing that can keep and retain people, just do it. Too. Let's sign up with love. Just preach the law first. Love will keep you and transform. We underestimate the capacity and the power that lies in love. Love transforms faster than fear. But fear is all we know. Fear will manipulate people. So, so if, you know, I, somebody called us out and said, to the enter another covenant. I said, if you know that today you're, you're going to be struggling with porn or lust, lift your hand and say, Lord, kill me and lost. If I lost again, kill me. No, don't go down. Because you are not the one changing yourself. Oh, God changes you. So don't go and put yourself on your... To- to- it's not a behavioral modification. See, the mystery of the life of God, you are not living your Christian life for God. If you are living your Christian life for God, you will tire. The mystery of the gospel is that God is living his life in you. So God is doing the holding. You are not the one holding it. It will break. Just re- You know what he said? Enter rest. What is rest? It's the faith of Christ, not your faith in Christ. Paul said, the faith I live is by the faith of the Son of God. It's the faith of, not the faith in. There is a faith that we are participating in. It's the faith of the Son in the Father. 
So yes, you need to have faith. It's that faith you receive. So we don't come to salvation by having faith in our Father. We come to salvation by discovering the faith the Father has placed in us. So God supplies what he demands in salvation. He says, this is it. Whatever God is demanding, he has supplied. If he's demanding sacrifice, he has supplied. If he's demanding this, he has supplied. If he's he God's comes, he's the end and the means, the goal and the guide. So if we begin to rescript our Christianity, I don't need you to live here feeling broken or ashamed of anything you've done. Can we pray? And the prayer I want us to pray is, we've bought into things that are untrue. And every day we are unlearning and coming into the truth of who we are in God. Whatever things you've bought into, this desiring to please God is a good thing. But discover first that he has called you to himself. This perennial anxiety that you're dealing with, are you dealing with anxiety? Sometimes the anxieties we're dealing with is more rooted in the fact that we, we don't know who we are. Our identity is rooted in our past, not in Christ. The, 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 the fears you're dealing with about your future is because you've bought into a lie that you can keep yourself. I mean, the, 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 you're, you're confused, no clarity about your life or your purpose. Where do I go? Do I stay in Nigeria? Do I leave? Because for you, the environment is what determines how you live. But God is saying, I've called you to transcend your environment. He didn't tell Abraham, I'll make you a great nation. I'll take you to a great nation. He said, I'll make you a great nation. Because at any point in time, God is saying, let me introduce you to who you are. He who knows you more than you know yourself loves you. And can you for a second not let the fact that you cannot love yourself perfectly interfere with the fact that he has loved you eternally and perfectly? May you know yourself as you've always been known, as a son of God. You are a coin. You didn't become a coin when you were found. You were always a coin. You are a son. Your sonship did not be begin when you got born again. Your sonship was what called you out to discover that you belong. May that sonship, that seed, the DNA of God in you, the life of Christ that has washed you, and made you clean, may he speak for you. So I don't know what we're dealing with, I don't know what shame, what pain. But today, Father, your healing has come. The one who declares us whole in him. So, so, so let's do that song.
For a while you've just sort of dealt with this overwhelming fear that you've lost your intimacy with God, that your spiritual life has hit a rough. And his emotion for you is just going through the rituals. You know, there is no sense of life. It's just about showing up and just doing what you've always done. There is more in God. He has not called us to go through motions. He's called us to live an active life that is powered by his every presence. That today God will revive every part of your being, revive every part of your being, revive every, revive your desire for worship, revive your desire for prayer. He will stir your affections, he will stir your heart. He will stir your affection, he will stir your heart. To know that you have been called to live with him, to live through him, to live in him. that has called us to be one with you. This grace that heals, restores, and reconciles. Father, thank you for reminding us today who we are in you, what we have in you, where we are in you. Father, I pray for anyone here that is struggling with addictions, sin, I pray that they receive this grace that heals, that restores them into their identity in Christ. For all of us, we pray that your grace will restore us into the fullness of what you've called us to be, of who you've called us to be, to be like your son, Jesus. So Father, we receive this grace to live for you, to live from you, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you, Father. We thank you, King of Kings. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you were blessed by the message. To listen to more, consider subscribing, sharing, and rating the podcast. We love you.